Thank you for joining us for this podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. The following was recorded live on location in Bourbonnais, Illinois. So I'm going to ask you to do something. Uh, Today I'm going to ask you to do something, and uh, I'm going to ask you to do what I've never asked you to do before. As a matter of fact, I've never asked what I'm going to ask of anyone that I can remember, which is not to my credit, for sure, because I'm thinking I should have been asking of the people of God what I'm going to ask of us today. I should have been asking this all along. So belatedly, and better late than ever, I'm guessing, I'm going to ask you to do something uh, that I don't ever remember asking before. Uh, For the record, I don't think I do a lot of asking as a pastor, uh, at least not from the pulpit, right? I don't think I do a lot of asking. Um, For example, I know that I don't ask for money much, right? Well, we don't. We ask for missions for sure. That's our most usual ask. And When we were raising funds for the new edition, we asked you to participate in that, but that was all pretty low-key, so I don't ask for money. I mean, we haven't even resumed taking an offering since COVID, so we haven't taken an offering here in like three years, and I hardly ever give any instruction on how to give. Um, Those new to the church, and this is their experience, they have to finally ask someone, how do you give at College Church? I'm trying to give, and I can't give. That's probably not to our credit either. I mean, but those of you who have attended College Church for all, do you remember me ever preaching a message on tithing? If you remember a message on tithing, then you're remembering wrong, because I haven't. I don't. Which is kind of confusing for some who've been a part of the church for a while. I mean, what pastor doesn't go to the congregation reminding them of the need to give, right? I mean, the last time I asked you to give for anything was for missions two weeks ago when Olga and Alexa were here, Alexi were here, and that was hardly an ask. I mean, I mentioned the possibility of supporting them in their ministry to Russians in Serbia, and it was almost as an afterthought to the message, at the end of the message, and even then I didn't even give you instructions on how to give, and as pathetic as an ask as that was, we still raised $3,500 for their mission, which is absolutely amazing. Now, it's not that we're not concerned about the finances. I mean, for College Church to do what we believe we're supposed to do, we need people to be supportive financially, for sure. But our strategy, and maybe you don't know this, but our strategy regarding the finances of, uh, of the mission of College Church, our strategy is to pray. We pray for the Lord to provide the resources needing for the ministries he's calling us to. That's the strategy we pray. Uh, I mean, so we kind of go over your heads and go right to the source. This is kind of what we're doing. We ask God to provide what we need. And then, of course, we live within which, what the Lord provides. And we're very transparent about our finances. We report every week what we need and what has been given. And we post our monthly finance report online so the whole world can see how College Church spends the tithe of God's people. So I know I don't ask for money much, and frankly, I don't think I do a lot of asking from the pulpit ever. I mean, we make known opportunities for service, and we make people aware of our ministry needs, and I guess that's a form of asking, but we don't even do that very often, and we just do it kind of in here. I mean, we trust you to read it and respond, right? Again, it's so low pressure, so understated, uh, you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. But we have the same strategy for that that we do for financing. We pray God provide the people willing to serve. 
right? So we go over your head there too. So as I was thinking about this last week, knowing what I was going to ask of you today, I think the only thing I ask regularly of you is if you've come to worship. And if you've come to worship Jesus, I think that's the most ask I ever do. And that's hardly an ask. That's more of a prompt. Because by virtue of your presence, you're already indicating why you've come, right? So I don't do a lot of asking. But I'm going to ask you to, I'm going to ask something of you today. And before I ask, I want you to know that there's not a person here in this room or listening online, and there's not a person too old and almost no one too young that would not be able to do what I'm going to ask of you today. I mean, if your child can say their bedtime prayers, they can do what I'm going to ask. And again, I need you to know that I should have been asking this of the people of God long before now, but evidently better late than never. Anybody have any idea what I'm going to ask? Don't say it out loud if you do, but anybody have any idea what I'm going to ask? I'll give you a clue. It's from one of the scriptures we read this morning. That's not much of a clue, maybe. I don't know. So here's the story. Jesus was actively involved. Jesus was deeply immersed in his ministry. That's what we read this morning. That was the first verse we read from the Gospel of Matthew today. Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Which, by the way, is what Jesus said he was Holy Spirit anointed to do. According to Luke, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus told everyone what he had come to do. We read this last week from Luke 4. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. I guess Jesus went to synagogue on the Sabbath because that was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We don't lose that. To proclaim God's favor. And then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendants, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So that's what Jesus was doing. He was proclaiming good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, setting the oppressed free, and declaring the Lord's favor. So Jesus is doing what Jesus was called to do. And just before Matthew wrote what Jesus was doing about him going through all the towns and villages proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Matthew recorded for us a few of the particular instances of Jesus doing that. So from Matthew 8, for example, after the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, in Matthew 8, where Matthew reports, Jesus healed a leper. Jesus healed a leper by touching him. I'm going to stop there. Jesus healed a leper by touching him, which was a pretty important detail. Because in doing that, Jesus touched someone unclean. All right? He then healed with a word. With a word, he healed the paralyzed son of a Roman centurion. And just in case we miss the significance of that, what Jesus did there was heal the son of an enemy of the Jews, a Roman army officer, someone who was a part of the occupation force. So he healed a leper by touching the leper who was unclean, and he healed a Roman soldier's son. 
And then Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, someone very close to them. And when the crowd gathered around Peter's house, he healed many others. And then he went across the Sea of Galilee and healed two demon-possessed men. This is all in chapter 8 of Matthew's Gospel. He then forgave the sins of a paralyzed man and then enabled him to walk, telling him to pick up his mat and walk. Then he, did, then he invited a detested, exploitive tax collector to be one of his disciples who happens to be the author of this book, Matthew which didn't make a whole lot of sense. Matthew's resume did not look like it should have been the resume of a wannabe disciple. And on his way to healing the daughter of a synagogue ruler, a woman made unclean by her infirmity touched him in the hopes that she might be healed. So Jesus was made unclean again. Of course, the woman was healed. But Jesus insisted on not letting her be healed anonymously. He asked who it was that was healed, because he felt it. And then he went on, he then went on to heal the synagogue ruler's daughter, and then he then healed two men who were blind, and then he cast a demon out of a man who couldn't talk, enabling him to talk. Right, so Jesus is obviously revealing in all of these that he's no respecter of persons, leper, Roman officer, synagogue ruler, Disciples, mother, unclean woman, rich, poor, men, women, Jew, Gentile, right, left. He healed them all. So Jesus is doing what Matthew reported him doing, healing every disease and sickness. And we can't miss this. There's a lot more going on here than just physical healings. Luke wrote, as Luke wrote, he's granting freedom for prisoners. He's setting the oppressed free. He's healing souls Amen. by how he's healing and by who he's healing, by embracing the untouchables, by inviting into the kingdom those who had been excluded, like Matthew, the tax collector. So Jesus is actively involved. Jesus is fully immersed in his ministry, and it was all a little much, even for a Holy Spirit-anointed Messiah. Because immediately after Matthew reported that Jesus was going through all the towns and villages proclaiming the good news and healing every disease and sickness, he wrote this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He was agitated. Moved. He was disconcerted. It was sheep without a shepherd. It was all a little too much, even for a Holy Spirit-anointed Son of God. And so he enlisted the help of his disciples. And not only enlisted them, he gave them, he gave them the authority he had. Matthew 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And he told them to do exactly what he had been doing. Proclaim the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. What a great message. The heaven has come to earth, folks, says Jesus. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Jesus said to his disciples, freely you have received, freely give. Because he, Jesus, even anointed by the Holy Spirit, Jesus couldn't do it all. He needed the help of those he called. He needed the help of his disciples. And we know who they were. We know their names. Because Jesus called specific, particular people to do the work with him. He didn't announce an opportunity. 
He didn't put it out there for just anyone to do. We need some folks who will help cast out demons. No. He called by name those he needed. Jesus called specific particular people to do the work with him. He called by name those he needed. And of course we know their names. We're told their names. Jesus called. Jesus chose. Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, I don't want us to miss this. When Jesus chose those he needed to serve with them, he called them by name. And so they joined Jesus in announcing that the kingdom of heaven had come to earth. And they began doing what Jesus had been doing. They participated with Jesus in doing the work of the kingdom, which included the smallest act of service or kindness. You kind of get the impression that they, I mean, these, these are heroic actions. Uh, not, I mean, they were, they were remarkable, but it's not only the remarkable. Because at the end of a long instruction that we did not read this morning, Jesus told them, and if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. So even the smallest act done in Jesus' name would be recognized by Jesus, said Jesus. Thank you for that hallelujah. So Jesus was actively involved fully immersed in his ministry. And it was all a little much, even for a Holy Spirit-anointed Messiah. So he enlisted specific disciples to help. He called them by name. And can I say something at this point in the middle? Because I'm not near the ask yet. I'll get there. Folks, nothing has changed. Jesus is still enlisting disciples to work with him and doing what he was doing. And he's still calling people by name. He's calling you by name. Christianity is not simply about a ticket to heaven. I promise you it's not that. Praying a prayer and getting it covered. It's not what Christianity is mostly about. I mean, it's about that for sure, but it is about participating with Jesus in the work of the kingdom. It is about his kingdom here as much as it is in heaven, said Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. For the record, that's what church is about. We are to be doing the work of our Lord empowered by the same Holy Spirit that anointed our Lord. And I think we know that 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 is why the Spirit was given. But just in case we don't, I want to remind you the reason the Holy Spirit was given was so that we might be witnesses, worthy witnesses to our Lord, of our Lord. Witnesses of the character of God is why the Holy Spirit was given, which is why he doesn't only come in power, which is why he comes in sanctifying power. The reason the Spirit was given was so that we might do the work of the Lord and the power of the Spirit. And as we read last week, the last words of Jesus according to Luke and Acts 1, 4, and 8 were these. Do not leave Jerusalem, said Jesus to his disciples, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but I am going to, in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the reason they were to wait was because when they received the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, said Jesus when the gift of the Spirit was given. With the Spirit, we don't say, I can't. With the Spirit, we don't say, I can't. Without the Spirit, we say, I can't. With the Spirit, we say, the Spirit's got to do it. You're going to receive power, said Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You're going to be my witnesses, not only here, but in Judea and Samaria. I mean, in places farther away. To the end of the world, you're going to be my witnesses. The reason the Spirit was given was so that we might do the work of the Lord in the power of the Spirit, the same Spirit that anointed our Savior. The Spirit that empowered Jesus is the same Spirit that has been given to us. Folks, the church is the witness to the Lord, doing the work of our Lord, empowered by the Spirit of our Lord. Which I believe we understand here at College Church. I think this is mostly a reminder. Folks, every time we come to church and worship with the community of faith, we are testifying to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We are saying our Lord is important enough to take time to worship on the first day of the week. We are saying the worship of the Lord takes precedence over other things in my life. And it is no little witness these days. It may be one of the easiest and most powerful witnesses that we would dedicate an entire morning to the worship of our Lord. It is no little witness these days to faithfully worship our Lord. As was his custom, said Matthew about Jesus. And I, and, and you should know, those who prepare for worship are doing the work of the Lord. They come early. They come two hours early. When we're doing two services, they come at like 7.30, 8 o'clock and, and prepare to be conduits of God's message. These folk on this platform are dedicated, committed. It is the spirit working in them that enables us to worship. I need, and we need to know that. Yesterday, we did the work of the Lord at the lot creating friendships with children and families in the name of Jesus. And the work of Jesus will be done this afternoon at 12.30 at Salvage Yard. Pastor Joel is preaching today. The work of Jesus will be done a little later this afternoon at worship at the center. Jesus' name will be proclaimed and he will be worshiped by those who have found a community of faith in this place at Salvage Yard and at the center. This is the work of the Lord here. The 24 who are traveling to England to assist a university for the sake of training pastors, we're going in Jesus' name to do the work that Jesus has called us to do. That's the first reason we're going. And every Sunday, every Sunday school teacher, every adult who teaches adults, children, or young people are doing the work of Jesus. And last week, 92 adults and teens testified to the lordship of Jesus Christ to over 100 children in vacation Bible party. The Lord was glorified in this place last week. And the organic pastoral care of the people of College Church for one another, making calls, visiting those in hospitals, tending to those who can't come, that's the shepherding work of Jesus. And the hospitality of our people to the visitor, the stranger. I mean, that's what Jesus did. And that's what the Spirit of Christ does through us. I mean, the grace and kindness that we express to others, that's the work of the Lord. 
and inviting others into this community of faith. That's the work of the Lord. It takes this much emotional energy to invite someone to participate and worship with you. You know, have you ever thought about coming to church with me? We say it about restaurants. Found a good restaurant. Love to have you go there. Why wouldn't we say it about good churches? I love my church. I'd love it if you would join us. Inviting others into this community of faith, that's the work of the Lord. And of course, being people of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. I mean, being those kind of people in our homes, to our spouses and to our children and where we work, that's the work of the Lord. That's the work of the Spirit in us. Folks, doing the work of the Lord, empowered by the Spirit of the Lord, that's what we are to be about. Just as Jesus enlisted those 12 disciples to do what he was doing, so he has enlisted us. It's not about the ticket. It's about introducing into a fallen world the beauty of the kingdom of God among us, his people. Which leads me to my ask this morning. You might remember at the beginning of the message. I said I was going to ask you to do something, which I have never asked of you before. Indeed, I said I had never asked it of anyone, which is not to my credit. And I also said that there's not a person, there's not a person either here, here in, this, in this place or listening online. There's not a person too old, and there's almost no one too young that cannot do what I'm going to ask you to do. Anybody have any idea what I'm going to ask you yet? You might have some ideas. Don't, don't say it out loud. Don't want you to take away the punchline. How many think I know what I'm, how many, how many think you know what I'm going to ask? All right. All right, we'll see. I'm ready to do my ask. So this is what we read this morning. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness, right? That's what we read. And then we read, when Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I said just a minute ago, it was all a bit much, even for the spirit anointed Jesus. And then I told you that Jesus enlisted the help of those he called, those he chose. And I said he gave them authority to do what he had been doing, which is all true. That's what Jesus did. But did you notice I skipped a verse or two? I didn't expect you to notice it. I was hoping you wouldn't. Because Jesus did something before enlisting and empowering those disciples. He told them to do something else first. Here's the story, including the verses I skipped. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but there are so few workers We're not harvesting. We don't have enough workers. The harvest is rotting in the field because we don't have enough workers. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field, said Jesus. Before sending them out to do the very work that he was doing, Jesus told them to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. 
That's what he did first. And I'm thinking that there's a relationship between those disciples going out and doing the work of the Lord and they're praying that the Lord send out workers into the harvest field. Jesus' first response to the overwhelming need, Jesus' first response to the harvest being ready to be harvested and no one there to do it, was not to send the disciples out. That wasn't the first thing he did. No, Jesus' first response to the overwhelming need, to the harvest not being harvested because there were not enough people to do it, was to ask his disciples to pray, to ask the one who is the Lord of the harvest, after all, to send out the workers into his harvest field. I'm going to repeat those exact words again. Jesus' first response to the overwhelming need to the harvest not being harvested because there were not enough people to do it was to ask his disciples to pray, to ask, pray specifically. Ask the one who is the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And that's what I'm asking you, College Church, to do. I'm asking you to do what is, after all, a request from our Savior. I'm asking you to begin praying that the Lord of the harvest send out workers into his harvest field that is ready to be harvested but is sore lacking in workers. I'm asking you to do this. Pray that the Lord send workers into the harvest field. That's what I'm asking. Today, on June 18th. Today the 18th? June 18th, 2023. I'm asking you, every single person who can pray, which includes three-year-olds, I'm asking you that, to pray that the Lord send workers into a the harvest field. And I, I don't want to be too hard, but my hunch is, which, may, which is not to our credit, my hunch is that some of us have never prayed that prayer. Lord, send out workers into the harvest field. I mean, for one of two reasons, because we're not even thinking about the harvest field needing workers, which might be the a reason, or because we think we're the Lord of the harvest and we got to do it ourselves. I don't do a lot of asking, but I am today. Convicted by the scriptures, which said, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Has that description of this world changed 2,000 years? Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are so few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. I'm asking 
us at College Church to do what Jesus asked of those first disciples on June 18, 2023. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Send workers into his harvest field. Pray that in the morning. Pray it at noon. Pray it at night. Pray it every single day of your week. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Send workers into the harvest field. Let's watch what the Lord of the harvest does with faithful followers of Jesus praying what he told us to pray. Begin praying what the Lord has asked us to pray. And if you're going to do that, if you're willing to do that, if you determine to do that, if you commit to do that, I want you to write it on a connect card and leave it in your pew this morning. But hear the truth of our Savior through our worship team. You've been listening to a podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. If you care to join us for worship, we meet each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at 200 University Avenue in Bourbon A, Illinois. We also offer a full range of activities, classes, small group meetings, and events throughout the week. For a complete list of what's going on at College Church or for more information on how you can get involved, please go to www.collegechurch.org.